If you're listening to this, you're probably a fan of podcasts. Luckily, Hardware Retailing has two other podcast series for you to enjoy. On Taking Care of Business, Hardware Retailing Executive Editor Dan Trottencheck talks to industry veterans and executives to get the latest scoop on the industry and their business. And on Tell Me More, NRHA Retail Outreach Coordinator Renee Shanyan connects with retailers across North America to learn about their operations, unique ideas, and retail insights. You can access all three Hardware Retailing podcast series by visiting hardwareretailing.com slash pod. That's hardwareretailing.com slash pod or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Editorially Speaking, a brand new podcast from Hardware Retailing Magazine. I'm Melanie Mao, the Managing Editor of Hardware Retailing. On this monthly podcast, you'll get a sneak peek of what's included in the upcoming issue of the magazine. On this episode of Editorially Speaking, we're talking to the 2020 Top Guns Award honorees. For 13 years, the North American Retail Hardware Association has recognized retailers who are leading their operations in innovative ways through the Top Guns Awards. Whether they are focused on fine-tuning the customer experience, exploring new business endeavors, or making the independent industry a career path of choice, each year sees a new group of retailers who are committed to making their operations and the industry better than they found it. Top Guns are continually dedicated to being ahead of the curve, using the inherent agility of independent retail to their ultimate advantage. On this episode, we have Will Abishan, President and CEO of Abishan Hardware, and Patrick Goebel, President and COO of Star Lumber. So welcome to the show, and congratulations on the Top Guns Award, guys. We're, we're so pleased to have you in this group this year. Thank you. Appreciate being a part of it. Yeah, pleasure to be here. It's great. So we're kind of just going to get the background to get started so our listeners can get to know you guys a little bit better. Um, so Patrick, if you can just kind of start with giving a brief history of the business um, and how you got involved and how you kind of came to be in your current role. Okay. Yeah, no, Star Lumber's been around since uh, 1939, so we've celebrated over 80 years. Uh, we're right here in Wichita, Kansas, and started by my grandfather, Earl, who, uh, who was a builder, but um, figured out how to, how to get used lumber during the war. And uh, before you know it, he was, he was selling lumber. And, and over the many years, we've kind of reinvented ourselves uh, literally dozens of times and, and have continued to grow. Just had a record year um, a couple of years back. So even post-recession, but uh, we've got about, you know, 315 employees and, uh, and uh, all, all family owned, quite a few family uh, active members and stuff. And I, uh, I started uh, my summer of eighth grade year uh, doing odd jobs. And so I've been involved for a long time uh, for a while to, to go to school and be a CPA for a while, uh, but have been back and, and uh, I've really enjoyed being a part of the family business and, and really this industry. I, uh, I remember waking up one day uh, as a CPA uh, doing some traveling and I just thought about how much I loved coming to work every day when I worked at Star. And so uh, when I had an opportunity, I came back and and uh, haven't looked back. So it's it's been great. So the family business wasn't always your 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 plan. Uh, no, you know, I, uh, I graduated high school in the 80s and I, I think I remember, you know, that that was a previous recession that everybody thought was bad back then, but little did they know what was to come. But, uh, but, uh, my dad had encouraged me to, to, to try some things out. And I thought worst case scenario, I'll go learn a lot about how companies work and what makes them tick. And, and, uh, I really feel that helped me a lot to leave for a while. Um, it, 
it it allowed me to bring a lot of things back to the company that I think have helped me in this role. Will, how about you? What's the what's the history of Abishan and, and how did you get to your current role? Yeah, we have we're celebrating in February, which is a little ways off, but that will be our 113th year. And it was founded by my great grandfather in 1908. He purchased the uh, hardware store that he was working in uh, when he was 23 years old in Fitchburg, Mass. Um, and that first generation was really important because he had ambitions beyond that first store, which is, you know, unusual. Uh, it could have just been a, a good, you know, income and business for his family. But he, like I said, he had bigger ambitions. And he started growing the company almost right away in terms of locations, um, adding locations through the 20s. And really what's most interesting when I talk about the history of our company is in terms of our founders, he added uh, 22 stores during the Great Depression. So it just, you know, I mean, I wouldn't be here without him and our, our company and our tradition wouldn't be here without our founder. And it, it just that deserves um, it's pretty remarkable. And I, and I just love talking and, and, and emphasizing the start. Uh, my grandfather was the one who sort of took over next. And, you know, after World War II, the country was really strong and growing. And, you know, he really just took advantage of that growth and, and really expanded the company in terms of the number of locations. Um, uh, the most during that second generation, um, adding adding stores all the way up through 1980s, uh, getting up to you know probably around 110 locations. So significant sort of growth all in the Northeast. We're, we're based in New England and upstate New York. Um, and then the third generation, my father and my my uncle, who have uh, uh, really worked very closely together. Their challenge was, of course, the big box introduction, and and then, of course, even more recently, digital and 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 also succession planning. And so, I give I, I really, when I look back, they they prioritized all of those things. They continued to invest in the business despite the influx of competition from the big boxes, and they prioritized pretty early on the importance of digital. And that's actually kind of how I got involved more full time in the company. I started when I was 13 doing all sorts of odd jobs in the company. But um, after an entrepreneurial pursuit after college, uh, there was an opportunity at the company around digital and to start with. And, and that's actually was was my, my was the way into the company. And it was created by my father and my uncle and seeing that digital was important. And this was back in. Um, 1999, 2000, so really quite early, um, and uh, have done all sorts of jobs. I mean, I think Patrick would attest in a family business, you do a lot, um, and you wear a lot of different hats, and that's part of the fun, um, but definitely came up with e-commerce and marketing, but also did a lot of stuff on risk management, insurance, uh, and on the sales side, and, and took over my, my current role in May of 2015. So. Um, we have a great team too. I mean, I will just say it's it's an honor to be part of this this year. Um, Top Gun is always something that's really interesting to watch, and uh, but really, I, I'm just here sort of because I've got an incredible team, and uh, it's exciting sort of looking out in the future in terms of our ambition. So, so both of you kind of touched on the you know the the core being entrepreneurial 
grandfathers, great grandfathers, um, and kind of creating what you have today. You know, they they kind of started the roots, and and so how does this family business, um, this organization that has such deep roots for you guys personally, how does that kind of inform? the decisions you make and kind of where you want to take the company um, and, and how you, you think, um, how you can kind of leave an impression on independent retail. Will, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think um, I, I would say my, my answer to that is we, we've never had a short term horizon uh, as a company. Um, and so I, it's, I, I think the way we approach things, and when I say we, we, we have over 130 shareholders. So uh, like Patrick's family, it's a big family business. And so uh, for the most part, that shareholder base, in addition to our board and our management team, we're really kind of aligned around a long-term vision for the company. We're not looking to, and, and so with that long-term vision, we are willing to make um, investments that are long-term. Um, we are, you know, wildly excited about the independent retail channel. It's, it's frankly the only thing we've known, right? So, but we are, we're committed to it and we, we believe it's viable and important moving forward. We, we think it's, it's, it's got its own challenges, but it's always had its own challenges. And so that's part of the, the quote unquote fun, right? So, but um, I think that the big thing is looking long-term and, and also I think it's fair to say our, our industry rallies around people too, the importance of people. So certainly that, that that's hand in hand, thinking long-term and taking care of people, uh, investing in people, creating opportunities and for, for people. Uh, because again, like I just said, I, it, it takes a total team effort and um, whether it's a family member or not, and we have a lot of non-family members that feel like family members, let me tell you, in terms of their, their commitment to our company, um, you know, but I think it's that long-term vision that, is, that we have that's important moving forward. Patrick, what about you? Well, I, I would agree with Will. I mean, we, we definitely take a long-term uh view to it but you know I've always viewed my role in leading that I, I I tell people all the time I feel like I'm a steward of the business of the family business and uh, you know it's it's a little different from somebody some of my other friends that are running businesses uh, who they're they're the the only person I, I take my role as leading not only the company but um, the family uh, the same way. I mean, we have regular uh, board meetings and stockholder meetings, and it's not uncommon that I'll set up a series of meetings with some of the active family members just to get a pulse of what they're thinking. Um, and then obviously, like like Will said, we have, we have the global family, but we've got other families involved here with multiple generations. And, uh, you know, we, we, we take their opinions uh, very serious too. And, and they've got a lot invested in it, but you know, the, the biggest thing, and one of the reasons I I've loved being back so much is that, um, I just try to constantly push this, uh, this view that we're very much an entrepreneurial company. And I know that sounds crazy to some, some out there when you're talking about an 80 year old family business in, in the, the hardware and building materials world, but every five years that goes by, if you look back, I mean, we're totally different than we were just five years ago. 
and five years before that we were totally different i could think back to some of the way we operated back when i was in high school and it just seems like we were a totally different company and every now and then i'll remind my team that a huge percentage of the sales that we're making today are either with things or customers that didn't exist 10 years ago and so i think that's really you know for an independent retailer um, brick and mortar. I think that's one of the most important things is to realize that everybody you're selling today will probably be different in five years and in 10 years. And it's not that we don't have long-term, extremely loyal customers, but even the work that they're doing today is so much different than what they did before. So we just always try to stay one step ahead of that to, to recognize that uh, basically it's, it's, you know, the, the, it's the, the destruction constant destruction of what's going on today um you, you got to know what's coming next and looking for it and uh, sometimes you go down the wrong path <laughs> but recognizing that quickly and moving on is great too but um yeah and we have this saving that you know as a family this is just what we do uh, we, we come to work and we love it so do you have any insights into uh what the industry will look like in 10 years <laughs> Uh, I don't know, but uh, we're not quite as far ahead in in the electronic commerce as like Will, but uh, we do have a saying that I remind everybody a lot that, you know, if Amazon can do it as well as we can, then we either need to stop doing it or figure out how to do it differently. And so I think all brick and mortar businesses need to figure out what it is, the value that they're adding to the product. Um, I like to tell people that, you know, a lot of what we do, Amazon doesn't want to do or can't do. Uh, and we got to keep staying ahead of them because, you know, I'm never going to be as efficient at uh, online and delivery as, as what they are. Um, but so we, to do this, uh, we, we focus a lot on, uh, you know, improving our processes. Probably the biggest thing that we've done lately is the last couple of years, we've been focused on uh, lean processes and the, specifically the two second lean mentality. Um, if you've never read that Paul Akers book, it's, it's great because it, it takes all the technical part out of lean and six Sigma and all that, all that junk, which most of my employees would call junk. And it, it puts it, it puts a responsibility on them just to get a little bit better every day deliberately. And so we've been teaching all the tools with that. Um, so I, I can't tell you exactly what it's going to look like in five years, but I can tell you we've got to be a lot more efficient. We've got to add a lot more value to it. And, uh, you know, we got to, got to make sure that, that we're staying a step ahead of our, our customers. Will, what's your, what are your thoughts on what the industry might look like or how you might be serving customers differently in 10 years? Yeah, well, I'll get to the serving customers in a moment, but I, just to build off of Patrick's point about lean, uh, I, I'm very interested in that book, and and I, we haven't committed as um, as specifically as as Patrick and his team into lean processes um, that generally you know they favor more like a manufacturing mindset, but they can be applied anywhere. But the what I want to emphasize is I couldn't agree more about efficiency. Um, you know, and again, this is nothing new. I mean, being efficient has always been important in business throughout all of our generations of these two great family businesses that we're talking about right now. But um, one thing that I really see that's a significant uh, challenge for independent retail is um, 
wage inflation. And I, and I say that not in a negative way, you know, I'm not complaining about wage inflation. You know, there is incredible, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, challenges in this country right now. And, and, and I absolutely support and, and fully uh, am, am committed to rising wages for, uh, for all sorts of reasons. Um, however, when you look at just how simply our business operates, that's the number one uh, expense that we have as a business. And so your either top line has to be growing significantly to keep up with that inflation figure, or you've got to figure out ways um, uh, to be more efficient and productive. And so I do think that is a challenge for the whole industry. I, I operate um, in a marketplace that's similar to other marketplaces in the in the country where we're a little ahead on minimum wage increases. And, and again, I don't view this as a negative. I just view it as a, as a very important challenge to, to work through. What I do view as negative is, and, and this, is, this makes the problem even more significant, is um, what happens with a rising minimum wage is that you'll have the wage compression problem. So folks that have been around longer, uh, you know, it's untenable and absolutely unacceptable for anyone to be making close to what someone starting, you know, off the streets going to make in, in retails and certainly in our company. So you, it, you're not just investing in starting wages, but you're investing in all wages. So it's a very significant thing. Um, one that we have identified several years ago as a real strategic initiative that we've got to take on. Um, as we make these extraordinary investments in, in the in the hourly wage. Um, so I, I, you know, I don't think I've got all, you know, we're not there yet and we don't have all the answers. And, and I'd also would say that I don't see the end in sight. So I, I just feel like that's probably one of the most significant, important, uh, at least for convenient neighborhood retail operators. Um, that is a very, very significant challenge. I think the whole industry is going to face, um, that we're, we're really prioritizing right now. As far as the future, as it relates to customer expectations, I think it's, you know, it's easy to just fall into, you know, the Amazon, you know, the digital transformation of retail and, and how can't, how can't you fall into that? I mean, it's everywhere. Um, and, and it's a, it's a significant concern because it's all about convenience. And for, for us, we're more of a, again, the neighborhood hardware store, more focused on delivering convenient, great service. And, you know, more and more that's becoming that's being put into question as to what that is exactly when you can click and have it within an hour or so. So in, 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 it's amazing to me how many markets, it's not just next day delivery, it's same day delivery now for so many households. So um, that is a very, very uh, significant challenge. I think we're blessed, our industry is blessed from the perspective of the product mix that we have, the, the need for help and service, but it, but that's not enough. Like we really do as an industry need to lean heavy into this digital transformation that's occurring. And one way I sort of talk about it, it's almost kind of like credit card processing fees, like maybe 30 years ago. I bet you there's retailers 30 years ago that were complaining about it saying, ah, don't worry. This is, <laughs> I don't, I'm not going to add this cost to my business. But, you know, we all, I think at this point, know how important it is. And unfortunately, it is a cost. So that's another challenge. It's not, it's not like incremental. I will say, I mean, I've done this long enough to know this is, I, I kind of call it the digital tax. Uh, 
like a credit card processing fee, unfortunately. And so again, these are the challenges our generations are dealing with in terms of figuring out how does our P&L work so that we can continue reinvesting in the business and grow the business and be viable for all our stakeholders. Um, but, but certainly the digital transformation and wage inflation are two really significant changes, I think, uh, to operating a business now and in the future. Um, when it comes to the e-commerce side of operations, did did you find that there was pretty significant pressure when COVID-19 came about and you guys kind of had to find solutions, uh, you know, quickly? Yeah, <clears throat> so we were uh, very uh, fortunate from the perspective of we've been making significant investments uh, prior to COVID. And um we kind of talk about it. If COVID had occurred, it could have occurred three years ago. You know, who knows? Uh, we would be in a, we would have been in a much more uh, difficult position to, to handle what occurred, which was in our market, um, there were serious lockdowns and uh, throughout New England. And, and in some markets, you could only do business if you were doing things like order online. And so really, we saw an incredible surge uh, pretty much right starting March 15th all the way through and it continues to this day it's it's come down we've and interestingly enough it peaked in terms of its usage around Easter and then has kind of fallen down but is still significantly higher than it was and has ever been so we, we see the way that as a percentage of our total sales, it was almost non-existent last year. You know, we're talking 0.3% of total sales. Um, and we're making big investments into something that's a pretty small piece of our overall business. And people are wondering, is this the right idea? Uh, but I always looked at it as a more holistic investment that it's influencing in-store purchases and doing all sorts of other things. But now we, we actually, during the pandemic, peaked out at 12% of sales on several days and are now kind of leveled out at anywhere between three and a half and 4% on any given day, which is compared to last year's significant. So we've absolutely seen a massive uh, change from the perspective of consumer adoption of wanting buy online, pick up in store. Um, we've seen a massive uh, need for curbside and we're in, uh, I know most, most of us in this industry are handling curbside with just a simple phone call when you get to the store in the parking lot, but we're, we're working hard right now to launch a new version where you can check in online so you can avoid that whole phone call. And so we continue to invest. Um, and, and we really just, it's that long-term vision that we just have that uh, we, we think these habits are gonna stick. They've been around for a long time and COVID has just sort of accelerated it. And I think it's gonna be even more important moving forward. Patrick, what kind of changed for you guys operationally uh, when COVID-19 hit? I know that you guys were kind of in a different situation being in Kansas. You weren't maybe weren't as hard hit um, as some of the communities where Will's business operates. But what kind of changes did you guys implement and how are you managing it? Well, we, we did have the benefit of, of being able to watch what was happening uh, on the coast. And it, it, it's taken a while. In fact, I would say we just kind of got our first wave now. Um, ironically after we reopened um but so we could kind of see what was happening but we're we we're fortunate um that a huge percentage of our sales um are delivered and 
were already being done um, through phone calls and things like that. And, uh, you know, that the, the heat just got turned up on that significantly. Uh, we did have to figure out how to operate um, while being, you know, our communities were basically shut down. And so we had to do things like uh, uh, give like a $2 an hour increase for everybody working during the essential period. Uh, lots of PPE, tons of new policies and procedures. Uh, we focused heavily on, uh, because we hadn't really been hit as a community yet, we wanted to make sure that we didn't become a hot spot. So we gave, uh, you know, 40 hours of additional uh, PTO negative, uh, let people go negative in their balance and became really good at the uh, FFA Act and and FMLA just, just to avoid uh, having anybody come to work sick. We still take temperatures and ask people how they're feeling every day. Uh, I got mine checked just a couple hours ago um, just because we, we just cannot afford a, a breakout. But, um, you know, it's so we uh, we 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 probably are are lunging even further towards, you know, mostly deliveries and things like that. And and uh, uh, trying to figure out how to do that more, though, on the hardline side, which which as a company, we're, we're definitely behind uh, companies like Will's. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that's one area where we've suffered a little bit, um, as we don't have quite as much walk-in, uh, business, uh, for that. So it, it's been interesting, but I do think it's, it's forcing us to rethink everything. And I think we'll actually come out of it stronger, uh, and more prepared for the future. Are there kind of systems and, and kind of things you put in place that you think will carry through beyond the season of the pandemic, if we can call, you know, an unknowing time one season. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think there will. Uh, we've, we've talked about that. Uh, you know, so, some of it is in, you know, just in the way that we, we go about managing our, our business. Um, credit meetings, for example, we used to all get together in a room and about half the people would come in late or they wouldn't make it. And so the meetings were that effective. We've moved those a hundred percent to go to meeting or zoom and, and guess what? Our attendance at those meetings are a hundred percent now. And the meetings last about half as long and uh, it doesn't matter where everybody's at. And uh, you know, I've, uh, I've tried to limit my travel to some of our more remote locations and, and instead we now do uh a zoom go to meeting and I feel like I'm even more engaged. Some of our training we've moved online uh, because people are getting so much more comfortable with things like, like zoom and go to meeting. And so a lot of that on the back side of things, we just kind of figured out how to be a little bit more efficient and more effective. Um, and I think our, our customers are probably starting to go down that path as well. Um, and so that, that to me is going to be some of the biggest benefits out of, out of all this. Well, how about you guys? What might remain in place once we get back to normal operations? Yeah, I think, you know, one thing is, um, you know, cleaning. I mean, we've always been, we prided ourselves on being a clean store. So this isn't like a new thing for us, but we, we really ramped up the cleaning, uh, during 
during the pandemic because it's the most practical thing you can do to just keep folks safe. And we, we actually, um, to do that, because it was very challenging keeping up with all of the changes of the pandemic, we um, hired uh, in over 50 of our stores a full-time janitor service or janitorial service to be there at the beginning. It was seven days a week. They were just there constantly just cleaning and wiping things down. So um, we, we are now starting to, as we get sort of back to full strength, we're, we're, we're sort of taking out some of those responsi responsibilities back. But I think we will continue in some of our larger locations to, to enhance our cleaning with third parties. Uh, I think we will enhance cleaning um, in all of our locations. We're, we're actually testing just uh, yesterday, we're testing a, a sprayer from uh, Graco. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and they've come out with a, a sprayer that's been retrofitted for disinfectants um, and, you know, where we can essentially disinfect the store at the end of the day and the disinfectant stays on all the surfaces. And when you come back in the morning, it's it's just a, an additional and it's a very efficient, productive way of doing it versus wiping, uh, which is less efficient. So I think. I think cleaning is, is gonna be around for a while. And I think, frankly, it's a, the unintended benefit of that, the enhanced cleaning is when you get into regular flu season, uh, I, you know, it's gonna be interesting yeah. just go, coming, going the next year. I mean, the, the loss of productivity with just sickness in general in this country is enormous. We don't really ever talk about it or think about it, but you, know, you, you do look for silver linings in this thing. Uh, certainly we're better, hopefully we're going to be better prepared for a future issue like this, but even just on a regular cadence, will we be more productive, just less sick, less time out? No one wants to be sick. So anyways, I, I do think cleaning is a huge one. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, work from home to Patrick's point or, or virtual meetings, we, we've seen the same thing. It's, I think it's, it's not going to be one or the other. But I think there's just going to be that that existing that trend that was already there is, has now been accelerated, and I think um, I'm I'm really impressed. I, I agree. I think a lot of our meetings have become more productive through this format. I think we're losing things on in other ways, so I think we got to get back to like a hybrid. But I definitely think we've learned, and I think we'll we'll carry that forward. Um, I think another. Another big item too is through this pandemic has been the challenges of the supply chain. And, you know, no one has, no one could possibly have been prepared for this. So, um, and, and a quick bit about our, our history too, we were a bit unusual in our industry. We did our own distribution for over 90 years. And when I say, I mean, 99% of the products in our store were sourced directly from the vendor, put into our own warehouse with our own fleet of trucks. And we were like a mini distributor, a wholesale distributor, but we only did it to, for ourselves. So we have a lot of empathy for distribution and the challenges. And I can't imagine how difficult it's been for them. And, and frankly, if we still had our distribution, we, we never would have been able to keep up as well as our new partners have. have. But it was challenging for them. And I think everyone knows in the industry that it's it's been challenging with the supply chain. So I think another thing is our team has been really forced to work on secondary sources of supply and thinking creatively about just keeping in stock just so that we can take care of our customer. And I do think, you know, that will that will, you know, remain. That I think that thought, like, hey, we, you know, we gotta make sure that we've got alternative sources for our customers' sake. Um, you know, I don't 
you know, it's really important to have primary partners that you work with, but I think, you know, backup is, I think has been proven that it's very important. So, and, and certainly the web, I mean, that that's, that's going to remain. I mean, I, like I've said, I, I definitely think we've always believed the web is important, but now even more so, and that that's definitely going to remain. What are some kind of small scale opportunities that the independent retailers have um, to kind of create exceptional customer experiences, Patrick? Well, I think definitely in the short term, there's been a uh, um, people people are investing in their homes. They they got locked down. They got stuck in this house. Um, and if they were renting, they started thinking about how nice it'd be to own. So I think we've seen uh, home ownership go up a little bit through this. People spreading back out. But they uh, they certainly they're they're looking to upgrade their decks. They're wanting to fix up their their basements, their garage, redo the bathroom. It it's really been somewhat stunning to see the amount of project uh, customers that we've had. Not only through our some of our traditional remodelers and and pro builders, but um, even the foot traffic of people coming in and and saying, okay, yeah, I want to, I want to replace my windows or my siding and, and, you know, and, and even those that were furloughed, if they owned a home, um, they were, their, their unemployment was better, uh, than what they had gotten in the past. A lot of people qualified for the, the $1,200 checks, which for some families was 3,500 to $4,500, depending on how many kids they had. Um, and they also weren't traveling you know, I, I know every trip I had was basically canceled and I got refunds on almost everything. I don't, I don't know how that will work moving forward, but, uh, for that period, um, and we aren't going out to eat very much at all. Uh, we've done, we've done our share of takeout to our favorite restaurants cause I want to, I want them to be there when we get to go back. But, but you think about the, the amount of dollars that people have to invest back in their homes. And so, We've been training our teams and making sure that our product offering is right there, uh, beefing up our displays uh, in that area, making sure that some of our remodeler partners are, uh, you know, ready to handle that business and helping them in any way. So short term, this, this is a huge opportunity that I don't know that I've ever seen. You know, I've been back at Star for 25 years and I've never seen this much focus on people going back to their home, whether, like I said, whether or not they just want to fix up the home that they're at or, uh, or even moving. So that, that to me is what we're focusing on. Um, and it, it's been great. And, um, not only for us, but for the rest of the, the box stores and stuff. I mean, every, everybody, uh, uh I got really tired of hearing how long the lines were at Lowe's and Depot, but reality was, is, you know, people were thinking about having church services in the aisles of a, of a Home Depot because you were allowed to congregate there, apparently. And, but it was real. Everybody was out there fixing up their homes. They had time, they had cash, uh, and they were stuck at home. Well, what about you? What have you seen that are just kind of, kind of small-scale opportunities? Well, uh, on, the, on the big scale, just to, to continue on Patrick's point, I mean, f- what we have seen is that this is – um, and frankly, it's, it's a windfall. I mean, this pandemic is not something that we wish to have happened, 
Um, but frankly, the fact that our industry was deemed essential, we remained open, people were forced to stay at home to look at all those maintenance projects that they've been not doing in a long time, not being able to spend money on discretionary things like eating out, travel and entertainment, getting stimulus checks, all these things were incredible windfalls for the industry. Uh, so at a at kind of at a macro level, what is kind of interesting to me looking into the future and and even with with NRHA is is what does this industry do with this windfall? You know, do we just take it and, and move on or do we use this as a way to propel ourselves forward, win some market share back from the big boxes, redefine ourselves in different ways? But I think that question, uh, I'm pretty sure. Uh, my instinct is probably everyone has, has experienced part of this windfall in this industry. And the, and the question is, what are you going to do with that windfall? Um, and certainly, hopefully, you, you did it safely and you continue to do it safely, number one. But once you get this windfall, what is your plans? And so, and I don't really know. I, it's going to be interesting to see how the industry responds at, a, at that kind of macro level. But certainly from a from a micro level, absolutely, there's, there's um, you know, new customers that I'm sure stores have seen, you know, what can you do to reach out to them, connect with them? We did, we believe very firmly in a loyalty program being more on the retail side. So, you know, getting those new folks to sign up so that we can continue marketing to them and hopefully get them back, um, make sure that they know that we've got online capabilities and other things. Um, so remarketing to these new customers is, I think, a, is a very key thing that any operator that's more on the retail side should be thinking about. And I think also we're seeing a trend towards less transactions, but bigger, bigger tickets. So in other words, consumers are really looking to consolidate purchases because they just don't want to be out and about that much. So, you know, I think another opportunity is what can you do to sort of enhance your, your assortment? You know, it's a little harder to do this overnight and respond really quickly because you, you got to really work with your distribution partners and they're uh, got their hands full just trying to keep up with everything. But thinking about how do I expand my assortments to, to sort of take advantage of, I think, this trend towards, you know, bigger baskets, uh, shopping consolidation. Um, all, all is makes a lot of sense. And and ultimately, back to, I think, what's always been part of our 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 industry has been certainly in the hardware space that sense of convenient service and and I think I would add to that now back to cleaning like in a safe environment you know and I think it's really important to maintain um, just highlight the importance of that safe shopping experience because I in, in our markets at least that continues to be a really important thing that we are uh, demonstrating good protocols and keeping our team safe and keeping our customers safe. So it, it feels like forever that we've been in this. <laughs> so it feels like, Oh my gosh, this, this is over. Right. <laughs> so uh, we often in our, with our team have to remind ourselves like, uh, this might be like the third inning. Like we really don't know. Like we, we just, it's, let's err on the side of thinking this is a much more of a marathon than we think. And so let's not, you know, back off too much on, on some of these new things that we've implemented. And that would be my, you know, advice to anyone is, you know, I don't, it, I, I think it would be, um, you know, it might be challenging to think that it's over and to move on mentally too quick. 
you know, so just in terms of basic safety things. So I kind of wanted to open it up to the two of you if you have any questions for each other. Um, just, you know, if you have, you know, want to chat about um, anything that goes on in your operations or anything like that. So I'll kind of leave it up to the two of you to ask questions of each other if you have anything. So my question to Patrick would be more like, you know, what's the plan at STAR in, in regards to acquisitions versus organic growth? Um, and, and if there is like an interesting sort of segment there, that might be something to go into. I, I know, I know for us, um, I have, you know, being, being here in, in Kansas, we've, uh, we haven't had some of the growth that some of the, the area, the other areas have had since the 2008, 2009 kind of recession. Uh, we've just come in flat. So I've desperately been wanting to grow through acquisition. I've struggled uh, to get over the finish line with those. Um, and so recently we've started focusing more on uh, opportunities to grow more organically. Um, we've branched out like into Oklahoma City with our flooring group. Um, and that's all we do down there. Uh, now we're talking about leveraging those relationships in our market. Um, uh, knowledge to to add other product categories and salespeople and things down there and and uh, you know getting into things maybe that um, we've always kind of been a part of like uh, uh, countertop granite or solid surface countertop fabrication uh, whereas that's something we used to two-step um, but we couldn't control quality and pricing and all that stuff so um, so that's kind of the directions we're going there um, I really wish we could do uh, acquisitions, but we just haven't been able to get there. How about you guys? What What are you seeing? Yeah, so um, we yeah, really it was that third generation that started acquisitions, a culture of acquisitions in the company. So I have to give them all the credit. Uh, you know, well over 50 small ones though. So just think of like, you know, kind of rolling up the local hardware store and into our hardware store, the local paint store into, into a store that we already had in that lo location, but all the way up to some significant uh, acquisitions as well. Uh, One-off, you know, larger operators. And so, you know, and we continue that to this day um, in terms of that being core to to our sort of strategy moving forward, so much so that we actually, and, and this is not unprecedented in any way, I, I, you think of like the synergies of the world and there's quite a few sort of consolidators out there, but synergy is a great one because they're multi-branded. You know, it's a group, it's a collection of brands that they've created. And um, we have within the last year sort of changed our mission from focusing purely on Obishan hardware as a brand uh, and, and growing that brand exclusively to, to, to broadening it to becoming a group of strong local hardware brands. So that's a really fundamental shift in our mindset. Um, and so, and, but it, yeah, I mean, it gets to the heart of your question is absolutely acquisitions are part of our move forward strategy. And as far as geography, you know, we, we've stretched ourselves to think even beyond our normal um, geography. We have yet to do it yet, uh, so we're right. At the, we're we're just beginning this, but the benefits of like geographic diversity are are very interesting to us. 
Um, and we have to figure out the management, you know, we got it, but like things like work from home and did, you know, virtual meetings and all these new technologies are freeing us to think, you know, this is, that should not be the inhibitor. Um, you know, we're really big on digital marketing versus traditional marketing. So that again, facilitates, you know, the idea of being able to operate in different markets. Um, so, but I think maybe the segment here too, if we, if we were to do it is, you know, it's really important to have both organic initiatives and acquisition growth. Yeah. You, you can't, I don't think it's really good to have yeah. just one or the other. Um, you know, you need both of those focus to, to be really successful. Yeah. Cause one thing we have learned from acquisitions in the bath in the past, if it's not the right fit, it's, you're going to end up liquidating it. <laughs> it's we've had we've had some that have turned out really well over the years and others where they just never really became part of star and and so uh i'm i'm pretty picky uh i i think you get what you pay for um but if you're willing to pay a lot for something you better make sure it's the right thing uh but i've learned if it's too cheap there's probably a reason <laughs> And uh, unfortunately, that you don't see what that reason is until after you've bought it. Sometimes, so um, that's why I may be a little bit more goosey than some on on pulling the trigger on on what seems to be a really good deal because I've been burnt <laughs> uh, earlier in my career. So, yeah. I, I know one question I have for for you and just about anybody I come in contact with is um, one of the things that that we didn't do such a good job post the 2008 to 2011 recession is uh, training and development. And, uh, you know, through our new uh, HR information system, um, we're really starting to build out a platform for um, managing training. And, but where we struggle is, is, what all type of skills should we be developing? What do they need? Where do you source that, that training? Uh, what's the right mix between just product knowledge, sales training, uh, and other basic skills. And so we're, we're in the infancy stages of this, but, um, we're getting ready to, we, we've moved all of our uh, required safety training to our HRIS system and are tracking it through there. But, uh, I really believe there's a huge opportunity, especially now that everybody is so used to to learning online. Uh, all of our children have been doing it, so uh, it's not as foreign to to our workers anymore as maybe it was just a year ago. Uh, I think we can get good engagement. But what are you guys doing in that regards? Um, you know, especially with you guys having so many locations, uh, what does your training plan look like? Yeah. Um, well, I, I the 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 most immediate thing I can uh, bring to this is wear my uh, NRHA hat on and wear it loud and proud uh, as a, and in full disclosure, I'm a, I'm a director as well currently. So we're big fans of the NRHA and we really fully subscribe to all the training uh, uh, provided by NRHA. And, and that is just, you know, I think the, the point there is this is like we're all recreating the wheel. So this is one of those areas where another topic I, I, I think a lot about is scale disadvantage. And, and all of us in this, in this industry have enormous scale disadvantage. 
And the best way to say it is our company is the size of three to four Home Depot stores revenue-wise, yep. right? So we've got this enormous disadvantage, and yet we're, we're, we're held to all the same standards. So one way around all this advantage is collaboration, and the NRHA really, at its core, has always been about training. So um, I definitely would... I'm very appreciative of what the NRHA does on the training front, and we fully subscribe to all of that. And I would just say, too, that we, we, we don't have, you know, I think that's an area that we can improve upon. In addition to the NRHA, how do we, um, you know, we are actually just launching an LMS. So in some ways, Patrick, you're, you're ahead of us, despite the fact that we have multi-locations all over the place. Uh, we've been slow to adopt. Um, we've been fast on some fronts, but slow on others. And so I think we're very much, I, I, I'll say, um, learning as, you know, as much as anyone in this industry. But what I want to always look for are ways to like collaborate, you know, like safety training. Why are we all creating unique safety training or sales training? Why do we all have separate sales training? And it's always because, well, we want to do it a little different. And yeah, but it comes at a cost to do that to make it a little different. And, uh, and I, but I think ultimately the one thing in our company and it's this true, I'm sure in yours and anywhere. I mean, the best way to train is uh, you, you learn from others. And so we're very purposeful about thinking about training stores and people that are good at training. Um, so you can have all the best training material in the world, but really you need uh most people will learn best like on the job. True. So we really, when it comes to our managers and things, we really are purposeful about, you know, getting them connected to other good managers that are known for developing folks and sort of mentoring them and developing them one-on-one -on -one and um, versus just doing it entirely digitally. Well, great. Um, I think we have a couple of minutes left on the time and I want to try to use it. Um, so this podcast series um, is kind of going to give people a, a sneak peek of what's going in the issue. So it's going to launch kind of prior to the the magazine, the digital edition of the magazine every month. Um, and so in this issue, this will be the August issue, the cover story is how to be the best first job. Um, so that was kind of the reasoning why I asked everybody to to share with me their first job. And I think uh, you guys have a similar story to a lot of people in the industry where your your parents said, okay, it's time to go to the family business today. Um, so um, you guys kind of both shared that a little bit in the beginning of the episode, but I kind of wanted to find out um, what did you learn um, what did you learn in that first job experience that you still kind of use today or maybe impart on other people uh, in your company? Will? My first job was when I was 13 in the company and I started working in, a, uh, in our maintenance shop for our warehouse. And the, my schedule when I was 13 years old was, uh, you know, five days, I think it was four or five days a week, half, half days. Um, and, you know, this is... Just imagine being the shop manager, and his name was Eric Burlow, and you've got this little thirteen-year-old coming in that you know and during the summer to start working, and it's an Obishan kid, right? So it's you know it's the last thing he probably ever wanted, um, and ultimately I got to say I learned a lot from Eric as a person and as a leader and as a just a boss, and and one of the things, yeah, I'm an Obishan kid, but his genuine kindness and care in terms of um, 
focusing me on, on different things to learn and, and just taking the time to, to, to help me uh, as just a 13 year old trying to figure out how to fix a paint shaker or fix a key machine or, you know, we had these, uh, these old batteries for our, our forklifts that had to be washed. And so, you know, doing all of that, it was quite exciting for a 13 year old, but again, as a, uh, for Eric, I'm sure it was a, a burden, but he was very patient and he was very kind and genuine. And so that was my first official boss. And so that's a lot, that's a very positive thing to have learned from my first boss and, I, and it stays with me to today. Patrick, how about you? What do you kind of still hold dear to today from your first experience at Star Lumber? I love this question. Uh, I, uh, so after eighth grade year, that summer, you know, getting ready to go into high school, my dad was like, hey, you've got your learner's permit. Yeah, you're gonna start working. It was literally like the next day. <laughs> so I, it, it just like Will, I'm sure uh, uh, Mike was, was my boss's name to start out with. I'm sure he was really excited to see a scrawny eighth grade graduate come, come to help him. But they had me unloading trucks and everything from sweeping warehouses to, to making sure that the, you know, we had all of our facilities had landscaping that needed done. And that was back in the days where you had to sticker all your hardware and so I had my share of piles of hardware unloaded off the truck that I'd have to sticker and, and, uh, I could, but the thing I probably learned the most from that is I remember, uh, it was just raining like crazy one day and saw, you know, my boss is like, Hey, why don't you go on home? And my dad comes home for lunch and, and he's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, well, you know, Mike sent me home. There's not a lot to do. It's been raining. He goes, no, 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 get back there. So I go back and Mike's like, oh, I don't have anything for you to do. And so I learned really early on to, to constantly be looking for something to do because I didn't, I didn't want to get in trouble uh, for being at home. And uh, as I mentor some of our next generation coming up, I, I remind them of that. I'm like, you know, don't, don't wait for somebody to tell you what to do. Um, we're looking for uh, family members and not only family members, but all employees, we're looking for people that are constantly looking for what needs to be done. Where can they add some value? And I, I can tell you ever since that day where I was told I had to go back and find something to do, I've never been bored at work again, ever. Um, there's endless amounts of things to do. Uh, and so that's really what I learned. And I, you know, today where, uh, I have a hard time writing my job description in my current role. So it serves me very well today because as a leader of an organization, I think that's what we're constantly doing is trying to figure out what needs to be done, who needs to be doing it and where's the biggest payback. And so I really appreciate my dad teaching me that clear back in eighth grade. I, I also learned from that uh, a huge love for running because my only good excuse for not being at work after school or on Saturdays is when I was running cross country. Um, dad would let me take off the the season for track and cross country. So I became a, a, a really good runner because <laughs> it was the only time I wasn't back down here at star working and I could hang out with my friends. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I think, and you know, just not waiting for somebody to tell you what to do uh, is a, is a valuable lesson. Well, that's great. So I, I thank you both so much for making time for this conversation today. Well, thank you. It's, it's been fun. Yeah, thanks, Melanie. And it's, it's a pleasure to be part of this. And Will, good to meet you. Absolutely. I look forward to uh, connecting a lot more moving forward. 
All right, guys. Thanks so much. All right. Bye. Thanks.